0: Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. Follow along as I read, if you would. Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. what was lacking in your service to me. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 16 to 30, we are confronted with three fascinating characters. The Apostle Paul, Timothy and Epaphroditus. If you've been with us for any length of time, you'll know for the last two weeks, we've spent some time considering Paul a man with eternity in view, part one and then part two. And may I just pause for a moment and say that out of those two messages, I am aware that they have been helpful. And I say that not out of pride, but that the response has been good in that they have helped us recalibrate our thinking as it regards to this temporal life and eternity. And I rejoice in that because it's from the scripture. Uh, So that's a thrill to me. Uh, We saw that in His view of eternity, he continuously had the day of Christ in view. You recall, I do this for the day of Christ, Paul said. And because he did it for the day of Christ, he was able to persevere in the race. He was able to toil like a farmer. And he was able to operate with true joy despite uncertain circumstances. And he even was able to offer himself, you recall last week, as a supplementary or ancillary sacrifice on the offering of the Philippians faith if you don't know what I'm talking about there get a copy of the message uh, because those were a couple of messages that we really got a picture of what the apostle Paul was all about Uh, and it was a joy to do that today however we approach a character who is not so much in the spotlight he is a lesser light and a younger light Paul is bold, Paul is forthright, Paul is outgoing, Paul is charismatic and Paul is afraid of nothing. We know the Apostle Paul, we've seen his life in scripture. Timothy, however, is a very different character. He's quieter, he's a little bit timid at times. He's a background personality when compared to the spotlight that is the Apostle Paul. In the historic accounts, Timothy fades into the background. But do not think for a moment that he does not play a critical role in the overall ministry. May I say to us this morning, I am so appreciative of the Timothy character. I identify with the Pauline character, as in the Paul character. Uh, I know of myself that I'm loud. I know that I'm bold, I know that I'm up front, I know that I'm often in the spotlight as an individual because of my personality and character traits. However, I am so appreciative of the Timothy personality because I know that behind the powerful dominant Paul is a faithful friend and a spiritual servant called Timothy. Timothy. Every Paul must have a Timothy and every Timothy needs to work with a Paul because that's what the church is. There are those who are up front. There are those who preach behind a pulpit. There are those who hold up the hands of Moses. There are those who are in the background, but every role is critical. And in this incredible relationship between Paul and Timothy, we see these truths. And in a little picture, we see the church between these two individuals. Timothy was given to Paul and was vital in the successful proclamation of the gospel in this first century. I have so enjoyed the study of Timothy. In the last couple of days, in fact, so much so that I almost didn't have a message prepared because I was so excited about what I was learning that I forgot that I need to actually organise something to preach for the church because I was just so uh, enamoured with what we were looking at. So this morning, I want you to join with me in considering this topic. Timothy, a faithful friend and a spiritual servant. And in brackets, part one. I hear the laughter around the room. Timothy, a faithful friend and a spiritual servant. Heavenly Father, as we look to your word now, as we consider this man, Timothy, help us to identify uh, in our own lives areas that we need to be more like this faithful friend and this spiritual servant. Help us, we pray. Help me with communicating the truth that I have so appreciated in, in the study uh, and help it to be real and helpful and practical For us this day, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to spend a little bit of time this morning by way of a long introduction. So in 15 minutes, when you look at this and say, my word, he hasn't even begun on the first point. It's a long introduction and we only have two points. Okay. Turn with me first of all, if you would, please, to Acts chapter 14. Find your place in Acts chapter 14. We will be looking at a number of different passages this morning. Acts chapter 14, which by the way, I have been studying the book of Acts of late and it has become my new favourite book in the New Testament. It was a different book while I was studying the previous one, now it's Acts and that's now my new favourite and next week it'll be something different, no doubt. Acts chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Now at Iconium, they entered, that's Paul and Barnabas. "...together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided, some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles." When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stamp and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Notice verse eight, please. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looking intently at him. And seeing that he had faith to be made well said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. By the way, notice the words there. He sprang up and began walking while the power of God at work. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in Lyconium, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. you understand what's happening? A lame man has been healed and now the people of this area, who are not Jews, okay, they are saying, wow, this must be God's with us. Look at what they've done. Fair understanding at this point for these people? We'd say, okay, we sort of understand perhaps. This is a a heathen group of people and they're used to this kind of uh, spiritual activity. So they call Paul and Barnabas gods. Verse 14, but when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd crying out, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. Paul and Barnabas were not prepared at this point, at any point, to take the glory. There's a good little illustration there for us, isn't there? We do not steal the glory of God. They said, hey, we're just like you. Don't, don't think of any. But yet still, even after they preached the gospel, they were still trying to enthrone these men as gods and do sacrifice to them. Verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch. This is the previous place. And Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. What an incredible account. Okay, quick summary once again. Paul and Barnabas go into this city. There's a man lame They, Paul brings about healing through the power of the Spirit of God on this individual and suddenly they are able to take the praises of men who want to enthrone them as a God and do sacrifice. But instead of that, they say, don't do that. We are men just like you. Uh, There's nothing special about us except that we have the gospel and the Spirit of God living within. And still they want to do that. But suddenly men from the previous town come along and they persuade the people so much so that they take Paul and they stone him. Now, I don't have the time this morning to tell you what that means, but stoning is not just a little joke. Stoning is not something light. A lot of people believe Paul died right here and that God raised him from the dead. The Bible doesn't say that, but nevertheless, stoning dragged out of the city and left for dead. He gets up and the very next day he returns to the city and strengthens the disciples of those who came to know Christ the day before. He establishes elders in the church and then continues on his way. What a man of God. How incredible is that, that this Paul and Barnabas would be like this? Now, some of you are saying, I thought I thought we were studying Timothy. I thought we were studying Timothy. What's happening? Let me explain in just a moment. So here's what I want to do. With that in focus, with that scene in focus, let me ask this question. Who is Timothy? Who is Timothy. So here's the summary. If you're taking notes, you probably won't be able to keep up on all this, but I'm happy to give it to you later. Timothy, or Timotheus, as his Greek name is, means honouring God. What a great name. Honouring God. That's what the name means. Timothy was a native of Lystra. Hang on. Chapter 14, verse 8. Now at Lystra. Okay, this is the place. Timothy was a native of Lystra, which is located in the region of Galatia in the Bible. If you know anything about your Bible geography. Bible tells us that Timothy's father was a Greek, not a Jew, a Greek. And we're not told anything about his faith. We don't even know his name except that his father was a Greek. Timothy's mother, Eunice, some of you will remember her name, and Lois... His grandmother were faithful Jewish women who taught him the Old Testament. In fact, I want to you don't need to turn there, but let me read to you, rather than just believe everything I say. Second Timothy chapter one and verse five says this. Remembering Second Timothy is at the end of Paul's life. He writes to Timothy, and he says, I am reminded in verse five, second Timothy one. I am reminded of your sincere faith, talking of Timothy, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Okay? Timothy is the product of a Jewish mum and a Jewish grandma who taught him according to the Old Testament law. He was brought up in a good Bible believing home, though not saved at this point. We understand? brought up in a good Jewish home, learned the scriptures. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, and verse 15, it says, and you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation, Timothy. You were taught this, okay? By the way, parents, I'm not one yet, but if I become one, I hope that the reality of this will be true for me as it is for you parents to bring up the children in the word of God. Timothy is proof. Of this reality, you've known the Holy Scriptures since you were a child and they make you wise to salvation. So this is Timothy's mother Eunice and grandmother Lois in A.D. 48. Now, put us in the picture. The Lord Jesus Christ died somewhere about A.D. 31. Some people have differences of opinion on that, but somewhere about A.D. 31. We are now A.D. 48, 48 years Okay, so what are we? We're about 15, 16 years later after the Lord Jesus has been resurrected and ascended. Here we are, AD 48. This is when Paul and Barnabas enter a city called Lystra, 48 AD. And they preach the gospel on this, their first missionary journey to this city. And you can already tell what kind of a city it is. We've got the priest... Here, who wants to offer garlands and sacrifice to the Roman gods, the Greek mythological gods, we understand what kind of a city this is just from what we've read. Timothy is a teenager right now, AD 48, probably 16, 17, perhaps 18. Paul had healed the crippled man as we've just read. And the fickle crowd had turned on Paul, stoned him, dragged him out of the city and left him for dead. Now did you know there were a number of people in the crowd that day and one of them was a young man by the name of Timothy. The very first introduction that Timothy and his mother and possibly his grandmother ever got to Christianity was to hear a man proclaim the good news of the gospel and then a short time later be stoned by those same people, dragged out of the city and left for dead. Timothy's first experience of persecution and suffering as a Christian was on this day we just read. And you might say, well, hang on, how do we know that? It doesn't say anything about his name here. It doesn't tell us anything about this situation. We know because in 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 to 11, the Apostle Paul says, you were there in all of my persecutions when I was at Antioch and Lystra and Iconium and Philippi and when they stoned me and when they were a part of all this. This was his first introduction to what the Christian life was about. And his first introduction to the Christian life was to see a man lying in a pool of blood. How would that go for you? How would that go for you if I preach the gospel today and uh, you accept joyfully the message of the gospel and are saved and then just a few minutes later they drag me or the person who led you to Christ out the front and they stone them and you see them literally lying in a pool of blood on the outskirts of your city. You might think, well, maybe I won't do what I thought I was going to do. Perhaps the sacrifice is a little bit too great. Now, please bear in mind, Timothy is a teenager. He's a teenager. Late teens, very likely. So this is his first introduction. This is when he and his mother and possibly his grandmother were converted on this occasion here in Lystra. Turn with me, if you're still in Acts, to Acts chapter 16. We are going somewhere here, if you're wondering why we're doing a history lesson. Okay. This is a history and geography lesson. The two subjects I did the worst at in school. Okay. And now form the greatest part of my study and preparation. Uh, interesting how the Lord works. Acts chapter 16. Really important to note here. Between Acts 14, Paul comes to Lystra and Acts 16, a period of two years has expired in two chapters. We sometimes forget how much time goes in between the chapters in the book of Acts. Okay. Two years later, in Acts chapter 16, let me read you in verse verse 1. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. Timothy's a native of Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy. Well, how did he become a disciple? Well, we know because of what it says in 2 Timothy. The son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul comes back to Lystra and there he finds a disciple by the name of Timothy who is probably around about 18 or 19 years of age. The church has been established and it's thriving. There's elders, there's a people, there's an organisation set up in these places. This is the first mention of this man, Timothy, by name, here. I want to pause for a moment as, again, just in introductory thoughts. He's around about 18 or 19 years of age, Timothy, and he's a disciple. He's a follower of Jesus Christ. He's accepted Christ as his saviour, knowing all the Jewish customs and so on. And two years earlier, he had met Paul. And since then, he's been thriving as a Christian. And he is now called a disciple, so much so that the apostle Paul likes what he sees in this man and the reputation he has among the churches that he says, I want him to accompany me. Now that gives me an insight that's really important, particularly young people today. Paul was interested in a young man who was keen to serve the Lord. Do not for a moment think that youth and young adults cannot be used in the service of God. The Apostle Paul here takes a young man and in that day, young. 30 years of age was when you went into full-time ministry as a priest. Here is a man less than 10 years or more than 10 years younger than that. And the Apostle Paul says, you come with me, I want you to serve with me. I see in you a reputation and a good godly attitude that's going to serve us well as we preach the gospel. Very, very important truth. Do not underestimate youth. Amazingly, can you imagine this? Men in particular, the first thing he does is he circumcises a 19 or 20 year old man. Now, That's fairly serious commitment, seriously, as a man to go ahead and get circumcised in your full adult life. And why does he do it? He does it for the simple reason, not because the law stated it, but because many knew that he was from a Greek family and to reach the Jews more effectively, he needed to be circumcised, not to be under any kind of law. But the Apostle Paul takes and circumcises this young man, Timothy, who willingly submits to that. What we don't see in our text... Again, introductory, we're going somewhere here, is in First Timothy 4 and verse 14. The Bible says that they lay hands on Timothy and sent him out. He was ordained by the local church council of elders to serve with the apostle Paul. That's really important because that is a pattern for us to follow. When people, and I pray that that will happen someday in our church, where there are those who would say, God has called me to another place to serve in a full-time capacity for the glory of God, then we, as a group of believers here, and as the council of elders would come together, we would lay hands on those people and send them out from a local church. That's the pattern of the New Testament church. That's why we do it. And this is what happened to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 14. So here we are, he's in Lystra two years later, he's a disciple. Paul says, come with me. We lay hands on Timothy and off they go together. 19, 20 years of age. Timothy launches into the work with the Apostle Paul as his companion. Turn with me to Acts chapter 16. You're going to say, whoa, are going to go right through the book of Acts? No, I'm not. Relax. I just want to give you a bit of background. Acts chapter 16, verse 11 Familiar passage of scripture. I want to read out just a few verses here. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, From the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul, what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. What we may have forgotten is that Timothy, the 20 year old or so, was here at the establishment of the Philippian church. This is Timothy with Lydia. This is Timothy, just a little while later, with the Philippian jailer. And in fact, because Timothy is such a background character, the Bible doesn't give us everything we everything we could possibly know about this, it is very likely that Timothy was in the prison with Paul and Silas. Remember that situation? Paul and Silas are in the prison in Philippi. The, the jailer is saved uh, and the household uh, are baptized and so on. Timothy was with them at that instant. Timothy was with them when Lydia was converted. Timothy was with them here, very likely in the prison. And then Timothy goes with Paul to Thessalonica and Berea and helps establish the churches there. And then due to a growing concern at Thessalonica, because the Apostle Paul had gone there and was in great danger and the, and the brethren took him off to Athens, he stayed there and the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, go and pastor the church at Thessalon- Thessalonica for a period of time. Go and do this to establish them because we had to race out of there quickly. Timothy gets sent over to Thessalonica as a young man to look after the church there for a period of time. He's a trustworthy friend because a little bit later the Philippians say, we've got some money for the Apostle Paul that we want you to deliver to him. So Timothy takes the money and gives it to the Apostle Paul to support his needs. This is that same Timothy. Timothy was with Paul and Silas when they established and taught at the church of Corinth for 18 months. He was with them day and night teaching and preaching and helping and sustaining and building up that local church. In fact, it's while Paul is at Corinth that he writes those 16 chapters of Romans. And at the end of Romans, we read, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. Timothy's with him in Corinth. Then Timothy accompanies the Apostle Paul on the third missionary journey. You say, well, this is a lot of history. I can't even follow all of this. There is a point. He's with him for three full years in Ephesus. Teaching and praying and weeping with them day and night as the apostle Paul says, I was with you weeping with tears day and night, working and labouring, discipling the people in Acts chapter 19. In AD 57, okay we began 48, in 57, about nine years later or so, the apostle Paul is finally caught and arrested in Jerusalem. Remember I told you about the apostle Paul last week. He's caught. And we know the series of events, he gets brought to the Sanhedrin, to Felix the governor, he gets brought to Festus and King Agrippa, and then in AD 60 or around about then, he is brought to Rome, the Apostle Paul is brought to Rome, and there in Rome he's under house arrest for two years, remember that? I've told you about that many, many times. Connected to a Roman guard with a chain under house arrest. This is called, in Bible terminology, the first Roman imprisonment. This is not in the dungeon. This is under house arrest in his own rented apartment, so to speak. But connected to that great soldier that we've talked about, the praetorium from the Roman elite guard. And he is there for two years. Timothy is now about 30 years of age. Timothy's my age. Okay? And he's helping and assisting the Apostle Paul or has been for at least 13 years. This young man. That's commitment from a 30-year-old. For about 12 or 13 years, he has been serving the Lord faithfully under in the shadows of this great spotlight called the Apostle Paul. And we very rarely read of Timothy and yet he's with him all the way. So, Timothy there is right alongside of the Apostle Paul while he's in this two years of Roman imprisonment there. He's with him pretty much the entire time because during those two years, the Apostle Paul writes four epistle letters, four epistles, and they are Philemon, Colossians, Philippians and Ephesians. Those four books that we have in our Bible now were written while he was under Roman imprisonment there in his own hired house. Timothy is mentioned in three of those. He's mentioned in Philemon, he's mentioned in Colossians and he's mentioned in the letter to the Philippians. This is where we're at. This is Timothy who the Apostle Paul says, if you turn back with me, if you would, to Philippians chapter 2, he says, I hope to send to you soon Timothy. This is that Timothy who is with the Apostle Paul right now as he is in this first Roman imprisonment. In verse 19, Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you, he says. This is Timothy. 30 or so years of age, having spent at least 12 years alongside the Apostle Paul serving and ministering. I want to very quickly fast forward for a moment. Now, this is where we are right now in our text. Paul has just sent this letter to the church at Philippi. But what happened to Timothy? What did he do? A quick summary of what happened next. Paul is released from his house arrest in about 62 AD and Timothy once again accompanies him on his travels. They go to various places. The book of Acts closes in a very abrupt way. We don't know what happened after this imprisonment from the book of Acts. The Apostle Paul, we don't have any more there. So we have to gain a few different things from different places. But we know this, Timothy travels with the Apostle Paul and at some point Paul says to Timothy, I need you to go to Ephesus and become the pastor at Ephesus because there's some doctrine coming into that church that needs to be sorted out. There's some men who are leading the people astray in Ephesus. In 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, Timothy is now the pastor at the church at Ephesus. 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. 1 Timothy is written to the church at Ephesus. Uh, to, sorry, 1 Timothy is written by Paul to Timothy to help him know how I'm supposed to conduct myself at the church here in Ephesus. In AD 66, Paul is imprisoned in Rome in a dungeon this time and this is the last time. He is in a dungeon and he has no hope now, it's all over. He knows his time is about to finish and at the end of 2 Timothy he says, my departure is at hand, I'm done. I've fought the good fight, I've kept the faith, I've run my course and there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, Paul says to Timothy. Second Timothy is Paul's final will and testament in this life and it's written to a young man who is pastoring the church at Ephesus. And you know what he says? He says, Timothy, come and see me before I die. He says, please, come quickly because my time of departure is at hand in Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 4. Paul is executed about AD 67 under the emperor Nero's reign. That's the end of what we know about Timothy from Divine Revelation. Fox's Book of Martyrs, which can't be trusted as divine, but it does give us an indication of some things, says this about Timothy after this. It records that Timothy remained at Ephesus until 97 AD. That's a long time. When during a pagan idolatrous celebration, Timothy was beaten with clubs and died two days later. That's what... History records for us. So from somewhere about 65 AD, right through to 97 AD, according to history, Timothy pastored the church at Ephesus after a life of, since he was about 19, of having served the apostle Paul. Now I don't know about you, but I didn't know any of that. I didn't know any of that about this man, Timothy. What a servant. What a faithful friend. Perhaps now, when we come to the text, we understand why Paul calls Timothy my companion, my friend, my fellow labourer, my son in the faith, my beloved and faithful one, and my brother. So, well, wow, that was a long introduction. You've made a new record. Yeah, I probably have. This is Timothy. I just want to share two things with you which won't take us long at all that the scripture tells us now. In Philippians, as Paul is under this house arrest and Timothy's with him at this point, this is what Paul has to say. The great spotlight that is Paul, this is what Paul says about this young man, Timothy. He says this, first of all, first point I want you to notice. Timothy was a man after Paul's own heart. Now we talk a lot about David, don't we? David was a man after God's own heart. Abraham was a friend of God, but here Timothy was a man after Paul's own heart. Let me show you in our text here in verse 20. That's all we're going to do verse 20. "For I have no one like him," Paul says, "I have no one like him." If you use it in King James' Bible, you'll notice in there it says, "I have no man like minded." Okay, that is a better translation than the ESV in this case. I have no no man like-minded. The word like or like-minded is a very, very interesting word. This is the only time it appears in the whole Bible. You know how I tell you about rare Greek words, how important they are when you look at how many times they're used? This is used once. In the whole Bible, right here in Philippians, and this is a, an incredibly unique word. I'm gonna try and say it because there's a reason I can't say it very well. This is how it goes. Isapsukos. Isapsukos. Do you feel educated now? Okay. Isapsukos. This is why I tell you, the word isos, which is the first part of that word, is the word equal. Isosceles. Everybody remember maths? Isosceles. A triangle with two equal sides. That's isos, esos. That's the word equal. Then we have the word suke. Suke means soul, which is where we get the word psychology. Psych. Okay? Don't believe what the world says. Psychology is not a study of the mind. Psychology, by its very definition, is a study of the soul. Suke is the soul. Suke logos, the study of the soul, is what psychology is. You put isus, which is this word, to be equal, and suko together, you have equal souled. This is a very interesting word. I believe it's a word the Apostle Paul put together, created this word to define this man, Timothy. This is what he says. He says, Timothy is a man of equal soul. He is like-minded, similarly motivated. There is a commonality and a unity in approach and in motive. You know what we get from this Greek word? The idea of soul mates. Heard that term? You know, you're my soul mate, we hear the world say. It's a biblical concept. Soul That's what this is. Equal souled. That's what Paul said to Timothy. I have no one that is equal sold. That's a very powerful term. To be like sold does not mean that they agreed on everything. That's not what this means. That's not what this definition... This is not, well, they dressed the same, they looked the same, they smelled the same, they went the same place. That's not what this means at all. These weren't twins This is not something that is an identical thing. This is that they were so knit together in love for a common goal, which was the glorification of God and the building up of the churches that they were going around to help and establish. So like-minded were these two men. I want you to note, please, the enormity of this statement for Paul to make. This is a huge statement. For him to make. A young man, at least thirty years younger than him, is like sold. and of all the people, Paul has served with Barnabas and John Mark and Silas and Aquila and Priscilla and Titus and Epaphroditus and Clement and Aristarchus and Justus and Demas and Apollos and Epaphras and Philemon. Can you imagine naming your children this? And Phoebe and many others. Yet none of these, does he say, are like Timothy. Timothy is equal sold. Timothy sees it the same way I do. Timothy and I, we are unified in this approach to service. I wonder as you think about that, church, do we as believers operate in equal soul-like mindedness? Because you know what the Lord Jesus prayed in John 17? That you may be as one as he is with the Father. This was the prayer that the Lord Jesus prayed. He prayed that you might be, in other words, like Paul and Timothy, equal, souled, unified, uh, working together faithfully and functionally for the cause of the gospel, for my glorification, for the unity and the building up of the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, We might ask the question here this morning, how can we be like this? How do we relate to one another in such a way that our very souls are knit together in love? Because you know what the reality is? We are living out, we're supposed to be living out the reality that's happened and that is that we are blood-bought brothers and sisters and we are equal souls. You know why? Because our souls have been purchased by the same individual, the Lord Jesus Christ. So positionally we are equal souls, but practically are we equal souls? Practically, do we operate with such a unity that we're so bound together in love and knitted together in love that we operate like these two were. That is a great testimony of church between these lives. Um, How do we get to that? How do we as a church become so unified like this? Look at uh, at Philippians chapter 2. We've already looked at this, but look at verse 2. Philippians chapter 2, the classic passage on unity in the church, the Apostle Paul, with Timothy next to him, writes this, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind, which was in the Lord Jesus. He says, have this same mind. Uh, Don't let there be factions and, and friction and all these problems. You need to be unified in love, in the bond of love, in the spirit of peace. And you need to look, each of you, to the problems of others rather than yourselves. And selfishness will be the opposite of church unity. You know, the church at Corinth that the Apostle Paul had spent 18 months establishing with Timothy, this is what he wrote about that sad Church. In 1 Corinthians 3 verses 1 to 7 he said this, But I brothers could not address you as spiritual people, Paul says, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. He says, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, you are still of the flesh. For where, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? And he goes on to say, some of you are saying, I follow Paul, and some are saying, I follow Apollos, and, and I follow this person, and this personalities, celebrities in the church, and all these other things are happening. And the Apostle Paul says, but it's God who gives the growth. Stop focusing on the flesh, and the jealousy, and the strife, and focus on the Lord. And so you say, how do we have true unity? How do we walk in the Spirit as we ought to as a church? It's when we look out for one another. It's when we love one another supremely, because we are so uh, interested in helping, and strengthening, and building up Timothy was such a man. Timothy was such a man. And he was a man after Paul's own heart. And we know what Paul was like. If God's people are going to have unity, if we're going to have ongoing unity, like-mindedness, it will come as a result of operating with the supreme motive of love, of love for the Lord first and for the brethren. Timothy was a man after... own heart. Does that describe you I wonder? The second and last thing in the closing moments that we have together, I want you to see in verse 20 about this man Timothy served alongside the apostle for so many years and Paul says this of him for I have no one like him no one like mine, an equal soul who will be genuinely concerned for your Welfare. Timothy, secondly, operated with genuine concern for the church. Genuine concern for the church. Let me say this to us this morning. Timothy was not some half-hearted, numbers-based, systematic, programs-oriented, Pragmatist who was quite prepared to step over the little man in order to achieve his goals. That was not Timothy. That is sadly the state of many churches and many, many leadership. But Timothy operated with genuine concern. This word genuinely is a word that's used in its original sense of a legitimate child. One who has been born of a mum and a dad who are married. Legitimate, true, real, genuine. This is the idea of one who uh, is, is the real deal. Sincerity, pure. Can even be used of gold in the sense that that's purified gold. It's the real thing. It's got no dross to it. It's got no impurities to it. Timothy is genuinely, sincerely concerned for the churches to which he ministers. He was not just in Paul's shadow and just going along with the flow. He was, in fact, genuinely and sincerely concerned for the welfare of the church. This word concerned is an interesting one. This is the word that is often used for worry in the Bible in a negative sense. You know how Philippians chapter 4 says, be anxious for nothing, same word, same word. But in this instance, it's not the worry that is sin. It is the genuine concern and welfare of the church. He is concerned that they would be all that they ought to be, that they would grow up to be a strong, firm, fixed, founded church that he is going to minister to. This is not a sin of worry, but a great, sincere care for the spiritual well-being of the Philippians. Paul says... Of no one like him, who will be genuinely concerned for you, O Philippians? Now, don't forget, don't put it out of your mind. Timothy was there. Timothy was there at the start of Philippi. When the church began, he has a genuine love and concern for these people and he wants them to grow and he wants them to develop. He is genuinely concerned. As we close, I'd like you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians, thank you for your patience this morning. In chapter 2, what does this genuine care and concern look like for the church? I think the best passage in the scripture to turn to is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Let me read you these 12 verses. Apostle Paul again. By the way, Thessalonica is where Timothy went with Paul and helped establish this very church. One of the first letters written, this is what Timothy and Paul have to say to the church at uh, Thessalonica. Verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. What had happened at Philippi? They'd been imprisoned. They'd been put into jail. Remember? They'd been beaten. Uh, And that's what he's referring to here. Verse 3. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Notice verse 5. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labour and toil, we work day, we work night and day, and we, that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the Gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul says We were like a nursing mother to you. We were like a father genuinely concerned for the children. Timothy was this tender, tender man. He loved the church. It is the responsibility of every pastor and elder to operate the same way. We as under shepherds are called to mimic the chief shepherd and to care and love the church like this i, I want to share as i close a personal note and it has been a great challenge to me uh as we close i, I just want to share this with you i've been reminded in the study of paul and timothy uh, about the supreme importance that it is for uh, for me and for terry uh, as shepherds to nurture and to love to encourage to strengthen and to operate with genuine concern for you. A church is not a club. A church is not just something we do Church is who we are. Uh, and it is our responsibility to be all of those things and I, and I feel and fear that I often fail in that calling and for that I, I seek your forgiveness. I'm asking this morning that as you would consider this matter of genuine care in the life of Timothy, genuine concern for the people as a nursing mother, that you might wonder and think and perhaps approach Terry and I, that we would be able to know how we can be more effective in our care, in our concern, in our love for you as the people that God has given us to shepherd. Um, I want to say this morning... And I want it noted in your own hearts that that I love you and that there is no greater call in the world to me than to pastor and to be a Paul and a Timothy to you to help and encourage and strengthen you as you continue to walk uh, as a Christian. Uh, I recognize my own failings, not all of them, but some of them, and I know there are many of them. And if there are those that you would see within me regularly that need attention then I would ask you to come and tell me that I might be the most helpful and faithful servant to you and faithful friend and spiritual servant like Timothy because what I see in him is a great concern and a great love for the people and I have that great concern and that great love for you Uh, and it is my supreme desire that we would have precisely what we see in this relationship between Paul and Timothy and the churches but now it's your turn Church, are you operating with supreme concern? Are you operating with genuine love for the brethren? Are you prepared to lay down your life for them? Because there is no greater love than this, is there? The Bible says that you would lay down your life for the brethren. There, there is nothing more, more pleasant More, uh, more wonderful to the, to the Lord than those who would be prepared to do that for one another, to go to any extent to, to produce unity and love and affect one another in the church. And all I would love to see in this, our church, is that we don't see this as a a once-a-week thing, as a time where we just come together on a Sunday, and yes, we listen to some long-winded preaching, and I know we do sometimes, and we we sing some songs, but that we would be living for one another, that we would have this incredible bond, and this this equal-souledness, that in a world that is going downhill at a rapid rate, this local church would stand as a light to the world, because by their love, you will know that they are my disciples. That might be a reality for us, that on the tombs stone so to speak of our church it might one day say in heaven they loved one another so much that they were prepared to die like Paul and like Timothy I can't think of a better illustration than in the upper room where the Lord Jesus gets down on his knees takes the basin, takes the towel and begins to wash the filthy dusty, dirty feet of his disciples and he says now you go and do likewise perhaps we should have a little bowl perhaps we should have some towels when we walk in we would spiritually learn what it is to wash one another's feet let me ask us this are we doing this is this us Timothy was a faithful friend and a spiritual servant does that describe you? Does it describe me? Does it describe us? Heavenly Father, we have laboured long in your word and we've looked at uh, so many things and far more than any one of us can uh, take away all of it. But Lord, I pray that there would be something for each of us that we would go away from this message and apply to our own hearts and lives. Uh, that Lord, you would divide it amongst us as is needed. Help us to see, help us to know the truth and help us to live in such a way that with one another we would operate as though uh we were Paul and Timothy's uh loving one another loving the church being so uh, wonderfully knit together in love. Uh, Lord we pray you'd have your own way in us uh, that you would do uh, a great work in us. We don't pray that as some cliche but we genuinely pray that you would uh, change us and conform us and help us to be help us to be what we're supposed to be. Uh, Lord, in a world that is descending, Lord, into worse and worse, waxing worse and worse, your word says. And we know that the time of uh, your arrival uh, is drawing nigh. Uh, And Lord, we want to be found faithful. We want to be those who have been occupying until you come. May that be a reality for us, we pray. Thank you for a, a time of study in this life of this man, Timothy. Uh, And for all that he did in your service, we thank you and praise you for his life and for that which we've been able to look at for a little while this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.